gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week, we have... Lisa Apollo on, and we're going to be talking about um, her book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart, and talking a little bit about her story and the things she talks about in her book. And so, Lisa, welcome. And before we kind of dig into it, I'd love for you just to share a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your story and why you wrote this book. Okay. Well, thank you for having me, Colleen and um, Rachel. I really appreciate it. So I'm a mom of seven. Um, I'm a single mom of seven and have been for a decade, very unexpectedly. Uh, And that's really where my, I guess my story starts and, and the motivation behind this book. We were, you know, I was married to my high school sweetheart. We had met in seventh grade youth group, if you can believe it. But, um, you know, he was just another boy across the room. He wasn't anything special until high school. We became really good friends and then we started dating and he was really my first date and my only date. And um, we, you know, fast forward, our life was certainly not perfect. When I go back and talk sometimes about it, it's, it's easy to paint a picture uh, that, you know, everything was going great. We had been through struggles. We had been through all the normal like kids struggles and parenting struggles, marriage issues, financial stresses and challenges. But honestly, if you asked me 10 years ago, it was the life I wanted. It was the life that I you know, worked hard with Dan to create for our family. So on a very, what I thought was ordinary Friday morning, I woke up, it was still dark out to Dan's funny breathing. And I wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I reached my arm over just kind of instinctively and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And I thought he would turn over, that we'd go back to sleep and we'd wake up in a couple hours to his alarm. But his breathing continued and I became more awake and jumped out of bed, turned on the overhead light and could see immediately that something was very wrong. 
And so I just went into crisis management mode. There had been no sign or symptom or warning that anything was going on with Dan. So this just came from nowhere. And, um, you know, my four-year-old had crawled down during the night and crawled into our bed like she almost always did. And so there she was right next to her dad. And my big kids were outside. They were on sleeping bags outside of our room. And they heard me crying out to him. So, you know, the older ones came running in. I just began to say, you know, Seth, go down and get the fireman neighbor. And Rachel, take the little ones upstairs. And Nick, call 1911. Call 911. And the, the operator began to walk me through CPR. And um, I did not get even through two full rounds before the paramedics were there. They're right outside of our neighborhood. So I thought, okay, he is in good hands. And he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and finds that he can't go to work today. At the same time, the gravity of the situation was very um, apparent. And I was, you know, they shush you out of the room. They won't let you stay in the, the fray while they're working. And so I was pacing outside our bedroom, just in, still in the dark, pacing, just Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on our family, just crying that out loud. They took Dan by ambulance to the hospital. I followed, and it was not long after I got there when they called me into that room. You never want to go into. It was like a counseling room. You want to go into the patient room and be reunited with your loved one, you know? And it was there that the ER doctor told me that they had worked on him for over two hours, and they had never been able to revive him. And so that was it. You know, I had held hope. We were talking about that before we went live here, that... This whole time, even afterward, I just held hope that God would do a miracle, that God could do the miracle, that he would spare Dan and spare our family. And so in the face of that news, our life just shattered in in every way possible. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I I appreciate you Uh, speaking from your heart. I know it's not easy to talk about this. Um, I'm sure it's not. one of the things that I was thinking, and I, I noticed you mentioned it in the book fairly early, that you know the message like this of going through loss and how to to um, work through the emotions of it and and to uh, seek God through it. Uh, it's it's not just a message for those who've lost a spouse. Um, you know, Colleen and I have both lost um, uh, pregnancies, uh, and mm-hmm. so and others who've been close to us. Who else might benefit from your book and from your message? Yeah. You know, I think we would do well in our culture to name other situations that bring up great grief and deep disappointment. There are other ways that a life can shatter. It can certainly be, and there are stories in the book from women whose marriages imploded. You know, everything they did, they prayed, they went to counseling, and still, they, you know, they walked through an unwanted divorce for themselves and their children. Um, it can come through a diagnosis, either for yourself or for somebody in your family that just changes life as you knew it. It can even come through, you know, definitely through child loss, the unthinkable, um, a pregnancy loss or baby loss. And then even, you know, a financial just implosion. I have a dear friend who she and her husband poured their life and sweat and money and time into building this business and somebody they should have been able to trust. They they found out they couldn't. And it all went away. And life for them changed dramatically. And so there are a lot of ways that a life can shatter. We find ourselves walking through just the shards of life as we knew it and, and as we wanted it. 
one one thing I was thinking about, uh, we had our our friend Darby Stoper on. I think it was before Rachel was my co-host. But one of the things in in that episode, she talked about how she lost her mother and her sister kind of within a span of a year, and how one thing she thought was maybe not the greatest thing in Christian circles was she felt like people would say things like, well, you know, God is sovereign and you just have to trust him. And almost like, almost like you shouldn't grieve too much, that, that sort of thing. Can you talk about how tears are good for us and a blessing and maybe even just that process of grief? Yes. And you, even if that's true, that God is sovereign, there's a time to say that. And there's a time to give space for grief and for those tears it was fascinating to me to learn this about tears and how God gave us the gift of tears. And, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, how, how many tears can a person cry? Because it was just like a faucet had turned on and it was triggered at, you know, when I was talking to friends, when I was praying, when I was in the worship services, when, you know, when I was reading with my kids and my own Bible study, it was just constant, these tears. And yet finding um, out how good they are for us. So tears do a a lot of things for us. One of the things they do, they do, well, let me talk about three, three ways that tears help us. The first is that they de-stress us. There are emotional tears that we cry are different than the tears that we cry when we're cutting an onion or there's something in our eye like dust. These emotion, those tears of cutting an onion are almost 99% water. Our emotional tears are filled with toxins and um, stress hormones that are being emptied, carried out of our body as we cry. And the other fascinating thing is that we are God created only humans to be able to cry these emotional tears. No other animals cry emotional tears. They're a gift for humanity. And then the, so they they de-stress us and they, you know, they take these toxins out of our body. The second thing they do is they lower our blood pressure. So as we're crying, anybody who's gone through a good cry, you know how it kind of resets your blood pressure and it lowers your heart rate. So it kind of steadies you. And then the third thing it does is it it's filled with endorphins. It brings a rush of endorphins, which are called the feel-good hormones. And those feel-good hormones both kind of negate the hard. Um, the hard emotions, but they also bring this rush of good feeling. And so all of this is at work when we cry these emotional tears. And I learned like to never apologize for the tears, to just allow them and to know that they were a huge gift that God who records every one of our tears and captures them in a bottle has a very intense, you know, intentional purpose for them. You know, I really appreciated what you said about never apologize for tears. It, um, it is one of those that um, has meant a lot for me. Um, hard seasons of my life and times when there were more tears than I thought possible. Um, and and you're right that that realizing that it's not something to be ashamed of or be or try to hide, but just to say, look, I'm I'm crying and and it hurts right now, and it's okay yes. for my kids to see it. It's okay yes. for my friends to see it. Um, and not and that they're not to, a sign of a weakness, that they're, right. they're a gift from God to help us process pain right. that is too big for us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you, though. I really appreciated that in the book. Another thing that you write about is to take every hard emotion to Jesus, that he welcomes, he understands our pain. And 
I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what lament means and what the purpose is of lamenting. Yeah, this was something I fell into. You know, honestly, I was just a woman desperate for the Lord. And I was I was reeling from these hard emotions thing, and questions and things that were too big for me to process. And the only thing I knew to do was to go to the Lord. I wish I could say that I was very put together and I had read all about lament and I knew this another gift that God had given us, this process God had given us. But honestly, I stumbled into it. And it was only later that I really, as I was studying the word, saw that this is what God has given us. You know, when God created us, he did not just create us flesh and bone, but he created our emotions as well. And the emotions of loss are very unsettling, but they don't unsettle God. They don't put him off. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to show up all put together, or we have to fake that we're okay when we go to God. We are free to go to him with our heart emotions. And we see this all throughout the scripture. We see one of my favorite places with Hannah in her barrenness, going to God in the tabernacle and just crying out before him. But we see it really in full color in the Psalms where David and the psalmists go before the Lord and ask him the hard questions like, how long, oh Lord, how long? Or, you know, why would you allow this injustice? Or my bones are just... um my bones are wasting away. I'm groaning in my bed, just describing the agony that he goes through in these different situations. And so lament says, it's it's a couple steps in the process. Lament says, you don't have to carry those hard emotions on your own. God who created you in your emotions can shoulder them. And so take those hard emotions, whether they're despair or sadness, loneliness, um, you know, even anger. In, in the right frame of mind, all of those we can take to God and leave them at, the, at his feet and then say, but I trust you. And that's the key. We don't just dump these emotions, you know, raw emotions before God. We take these two hard emotions for us to carry to the feet of, of, of Christ. And we say, but I trust you. So it's saying, Lord, I am hurting, but I trust you. Or Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. Rachel and I've actually talked um, quite a bit about the Psalms of Lament, and we actually just had our friend Christina Fox on, and she's written um, the book, A Heart Set Free, A Journey to Hope Through the Psalms of Lament. And in my own life, that has just been extremely helpful. And even the one that you mentioned, I think Psalm 13, How Long, O Lord, um, I even have that one set to music that somebody set to music that... I listen to often. Uh, can you explain the difference between grief and grumbling? Yes, that's a great, great distinction. So this really stood out to me in the in the book of Ruth. And in that book, there are two widows. Well, there's actually three. We have Orpah as well, but we have mostly Naomi and Ruth, both childless, both left widowed. And yet we see very different responses from them. Naomi was so had lost such trust in the Lord that she was willing to tell, or that she did tell both Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, to go back to their pagan families, that she had nothing for them, that she had no hope for them. And so that kind of tells us the state of her heart, you know, and her and her thoughts that she had, she was willing to let these, these women go back to these pagan families instead of going with her as she went to Bethlehem, returning to, to Judah and to Israel. So, um, Grief says, grief says, Lord, 
I am hurting, but I trust that you are for me. Grumbling says, Lord, I am hurting and you are not for me. You have done this to me. And then grief says, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. And grumbling says, Lord, I don't understand. And therefore, you know, I turn against you. And so in this grief and grumbling, we really have a choice. You know, it said that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, but that is not the whole truth because what doesn't kill us can really, we can become bitter in that, or we can turn from God instead of drawing close to him. And so what doesn't kill us is just an opportunity to either turn to God and say, Lord, if if you are my only hope in this, and I don't see a way through, but I trust that you are walking with me through this, or to say, Lord, you have turned your hand against me. This is not the outcome I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted here and to turn from him. You know, one of the things that I think is thinking about the same story with Ruth and Naomi, it's just the, the sheer mercy of the Lord that even with Naomi saying, call me Mara, and, and speaking of her bitterness, that God tenderly cares for her through Ruth, you know, that he He shows her his love. And, and at the end, you see, you know, the the joy that she's found again, and, and the people around realizing and acknowledging that God has blessed Naomi through Ruth. And um, I'm just struck again by God's kindness towards us that um, even when we fail, he doesn't. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, for, for us I've, walking through that place, we don't know what lies on the other side of this. We only know right now, and you know, our emotions really do a good job of telling us the pain of the moment, but they cannot predict the future. Mm-hmm. And so I think of all of those, you know, both Naomi and Ruth, had they known, had she known what God had waiting for her, that she would be, I'm trying to remember now, the great-grandmother of King David, if I've got my genealogy right. I always have to go back and count the generations. Um, that she mm-hmm. would, you know, that her her great-grandchild would be King David. Would she have grumbled so against God? You, know, you, you mentioned about our emotions and how they, it's not that we don't trust them, but they're not the only voice, right? They're not always what's speaking the truth to us and how we feel, but um, but God still comforts us through that. How does God comfort us in our grief and our loss and our fears? Yeah, you know what? God is really our only comfort. I mean, we can find comfort from others around us, from praise, but God is our comforter, and He's called the God of all comfort. And so, you know, there are a lot of ways that God comes in and comforts us, and one of those is with his presence. I think when any of us hit these situations where it's something unexpected and something painful, we realize that um, we all go through situations that aren't what we wanted, what we would choose. You know, we would choose something different if we could. And yet God, he doesn't always fix it. You know, as a Christian, we don't get to a pass on pain. We don't get to, you know, we we don't get a pass on pain. We are going to go through diagnosis and 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 if a plant closes, you know, Christians are going to be laid off just like other people. We are going to go through suffering this side of heaven. And yet God is present with us. And that has to become enough for us. It's really a point for us to say and to learn that God is enough. I can remember so many, so many nights just being so um 
just the pain of loneliness. You know, after my kids would go to bed and the house would quiet and it was just me and it was the evening, those were sometimes the hardest times of just not having somebody to talk to, not having my husband to you know be there with me and just the pain. And yet God, you know, it's not the same as that that physical presence of a spouse being there with you, but God's grace is sufficient. You know, God did not take that thorn from Paul. Paul cried out for it three times and asked for it. And he was a powerful prayer. But God said, I have something better for you. I have my grace, which is sufficient. And that is something good for us to find this side of heaven, that God is sufficient for us, that his grace is sufficient, and that our satisfaction has to be in him alone and not not in an outcome. Can, Can you talk about what you mean by the great exchange? Yes. So this was something else that I just fell into, a practice I fell into as a just desperate for the Lord. So we homeschool, but actually Dan died in the in the summer. It was actually Father's Day weekend. So we were kind of in our summer, I guess, rhythm. Um, I would get my kids up every morning. At that time, I had like a four-year-old, six-year-old, all the way up to my oldest was 19. And I would get them started for the day. And then I would get away by myself and I, God's word just became my very food. I needed God's word more than I needed food. Um, and I would get away. I would get in my minivan. I say, some people have a prayer closet. I have a minivan. It was like the only place, and moms will get this, where nobody could come in or you know, the phone would ring or somebody would tiptoe in and say, I just need one thing or slip a note under the door. You know. So in that minivan, I could cry out to the Lord. And my kids had seen me cry. But this is a place where I could really cry and give God all of my emotions, all of my fears, all of my needs, all of my what ifs about the future. And then I would pick up the word and I was reading through the Bible for a year and I hadn't started out the year that way. I think I had been on in another Bible study, but Dan was actually reading through the Bible for a year with our church on a plan. And I picked up his journal and his Bible reading plan. And so I didn't go look for scripture. You know, I didn't go look for verses that would meet me and tell me what I wanted to hear. I would open up to whatever scripture was assigned for that day. And it never failed that wherever it was, whether it was Leviticus or Psalms or somewhere in the New Testament, God would meet me on the words of that page. And he would remind me of who he is and his promises and how he deals with us, how he cares for us. And it was enough hope to go back into the house and show up and parent my kids for that day. It was not enough for the whole week. I had to go back the next day and do it again. It became became my manna, my spiritual manna, where I would daily just pick up the word and what God had for me. And I call, I came to call it the great exchange because I would give God all of my fears and emotions and needs and questions, pick up the word and be reminded of his hope and who he is. It's a lovely image. Um, really, it's a great illustration and picture uh, of his mercy and taking of our uh, our pain and our grief. Um, another place you focus, um, I think a whole, most of a chapter, I was listening to it, so the chapter breaks are not as clean in my mind as, as they should be, but um, you talk about God's faithfulness. And one thing you said that really hit me was that God can only be faithful. And I thought, I wondered if you could speak a little bit about it, what it means for God to be faithful, that he is faithful. Yes, I love this. And really this came from 
a sermon, probably most of this foundation was laid in my heart by a sermon that my pastor did. And, but then, you know, I, I needed it at this point when life just emptied in all kinds of ways, I needed to know that God would be faithful. You know, I think for so many of us as believers, it's not a cerebral question of, is God faithful? I think most of us would not and say, yes, he's faithful. The question is, is he going to be faithful to me in this? And it's that, that whatever we're walking, whether God has called us out to something, a huge step of faith or life has taken a turn that we never saw coming and we are now walking this place that requires just you know this great faith because we don't we haven't seen how God is going to come through for us we wonder if he's going to come through and and so knowing that God's faithfulness is not a decision that he gets up and makes every day you and I we are human and we have to decide that we're going to keep our word in a situation or that we're going to come through for somebody like we've said we will, but not God. This is his character. And so it's not a choice that he makes, but it is who he is. He can only ever be faithful. And so it's never something that we should question. You know, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says that um, his compassions never fail. And then it gives us that picture that they are as sure as the sun. And so you and I, we never get up and say, or we never go to bed. Let's say it that way. If we have a, a big day of it tomorrow, you know, we never think, well, I will do that if the sun comes up. You know, I've got to wait and see. And if the sun comes up tomorrow, then I'll move ahead and go through with that big thing. We set our alarm. We go to sleep. We don't even question. It is unquestionable that the sun is going to come up. And God's faithfulness is like the sun. It is unquestionable. And this just moves me to tears because while we cannot see it, we do not have to question it. And I just have to imagine that there is somebody right now who is walking that space between um, a big need and seeing God meet that need and be faithful in it. And I just want you to know that while walking it is scary, I get that. We do not have to question God's faithfulness. He is there for you. And in fact, that need has already been met. It is just ours to walk to it and for us in our time to catch up to where God already is. That's such an encouraging reminder. I I know through some things that I've been through and even through going through many of those Psalms that I really learned that even when I'm not feeling a certain way, I can still hold on to what is true about God, including his faithfulness. Can you explain what you mean when you say we need grace in grieving a shattered heart? Yes, this became really clear. And there are several ways that we need grace. You know, one is we need grace with others. We need, people are going to say stuff, as you mentioned earlier, people are going to say something that that is so well-meaning, but is a wound or just doesn't, it's hurtful. And we need to extend grace knowing that they are doing the best they can and trying to have compassion with us. People aren't going to show up in ways that we think that they should, or they're going to want to show up in ways that make us that feel awkward. And we just need to have grace as we're all walking through this. And then we need to have grace for ourselves. You know, this season, when you are walking through a shattering loss, it is just so all-encompassing. It is physically and emotionally um, spiritually, just so 
all-encompassing. It takes so much bandwidth from us. And so we may not be able to do the things that we would before. Um, you know, for, for me, there were several times where I was like, you know what, cereal for dinner. And that was all I could do because my time and my attention was going to so many other things that were so much more important. And the other thing is that, you know, I had always known about God's salvation grace. I mean, I was raised in churches. It was preached every Sunday. I knew about God's salvation grace. What I really did not have a good grasp of was God's sustaining grace, that God will sustain us in times where we are not enough and where we cannot fix it. And um, as hard as it is to be in those places, to find that God's grace is sufficient for us, that He will get us through. You want to look back over these 10 years, it's been 10 years for us. It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly how God got me through and to describe it. All I know is that sometimes it is day by day, sometimes it is moment by moment, and sometimes it is breath by breath, God's sustaining grace walking us through situations that are too hard for us. I know that you've, um, from what you've mentioned and talked about in the book too, that as you were grieving, you talked just now about grieving, uh, giving grace to others around you as they grieve as well. But while you were grieving, you were also caring for your children through their loss too. How can we help support those around us who are grieving alongside us? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think we just need to get used to being awkward together because it feels awkward to receive help and it feels awkward sometimes to give that help. So let me first talk about giving that help because that's kind of what you you were asking. Um, I would say that, and a very dear friend taught me this. She did this very well. And I was really kind of taking mental notes as people were coming alongside us and doing things for us. There are a couple of things that can keep us from getting help. And one is that the problem is just too big. You know, here I was a sudden window with seven children. That is too big for anybody to come in and fix. And so that can keep us from doing anything. But I think even though we can't fix everything, we can do something. And all of those somethings together really are the hands and feet of Jesus meeting needs. And so another thing is we think, well, what I'm doing, is it really going to help? Is this, you know, it feels awkward and is this really what they need? And so my, my very dear friend taught me to pray to that when, when she's wanting to help somebody, she prays and asks the Lord what, what, how she can help. And then she actively looks for God to answer that prayer. And so I'm telling you, people did so many things for us. Um, they, the biggest thing they did is they came and they were with us, especially in that early fresh grief. They were just with us. They took my kids for playdates. They took my boys to go um, fishing. They showed up at basketball games years down the road to cheer them on in the stands. They came to sit with me in my grief. And, um, and then they just did all kinds of stuff. I mean, beyond the casseroles that were brought, people, you know, sent cards. They sent texts. They remembered big days. That's a big thing is to remember the big days and the big milestones and the big anniversaries and to come alongside for years later to say, I'm thinking people just did this for us. It's the 10th. We just passed the the day of Dan's um, homegoing. And I had several friends reach out and say, I am praying for you today. I am remembering him today with you. I mean, there is just nothing sweeter to know 
that people are praying for you for the long haul. One of the things I told you before we recorded that a close friend recently lost her husband. And I know for her, she is kind, she has said, this wasn't my plan. This wasn't, I thought we were going to grow old together. I thought we were going to do all those things. But uh, you write something helpful that when we suffer a loss, God isn't writing a plan B for us. You call it him leading us toward chapter two. Can you expand on that? Yes, I would love to. And this did not come early in my grief. This was really in year two somewhere where I was in my minivan again, just being honest with the Lord. And and I, in top of my thoughts bubbled up, I don't like my life. You know, letting go of the life we planned is really hard. It's as, it's as hard as grieving the person that we miss you know, giving up the the future that we thought would always be there, the dreams we had together, the vision we had together, that is all part of of grief and of loss. And so as I said, you know, I don't like my life, on the heels of that came this, that though this was unexpected for me, this was not unexpected for God, that he had allowed it. And as such, it was not a plan B, that it was his intentional chapter two. I think I had thought, well, I am consigned to living out the leftovers of the life I wanted. And I'll make the best I can of this, but it will always be second best. But to know that God does not give us second best, that while it may be unexpected for us, that this is very intentional. And as such, it, it is filled with as much abundance and joy and goodness as all the years before. And you know, as this came to me, it didn't immediately fix everything. It wasn't like I was like, oh, okay, well, I feel all better now. But what it did is it realigned my heart to the truth that this was God's intentional chapter two, and that there was joy and abundance there if I would do the hard work of grief, and it is hard work, if I would keep doing that hard work of grief, that my emotions and my thoughts and my heart would catch up to that. And thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, this is one of those things Colleen and I have been wanting for a while to have someone on to speak, particularly to this issue, um, you know, with the group of women, um, particularly women who listen to our, our podcast and you're on our Facebook group or on the Facebook group for Theology Gals. Um, this is a common issue, as I'm sure you know, this kind of loss, this kind of grief. And it I'm really pleased that we have a resource that we can share with them uh, and feel good about sharing. Uh, so thank you so much for, for writing the book and for coming and explaining to us and, and talking to us about your experiences. What encouragement would you share today with those who are grieving? Yeah, I would say in fresh grief to don't, don't skip past the hard part. You know, we want to we want to get to feeling good again, and um, the book has a big promise that life can be good again, and yet we have to walk through that hard place. We have to walk through that valley. We have to process all of the hard emotion. If we don't grieve on our terms now, grief will come back on its terms later. Because we can't mask it, we can't escape it, we can't shop it out of our system, or just hit up you know Disney World. We have to walk through it. But if we will do that hard work and broken open, you know, before the Lord, God does so much in us. A good friend said to me when I said, I just want to be fast forwarded 15 years from now. 
She said, yeah, but you will not be who God wants you to be unless you walk it out. And that's the truth. God is doing so much in you now, in your brokenness that you never wanted, that you never saw coming. Give him all of the pieces of your broken heart over and over and over. It is a process. And let him reshape you in ways that you never would have seen otherwise. I can promise you, you will not want to have gone to go back to the woman you were before. God will bring beauty that he could not bring if our life was just full of sunny days. Absolutely agree with everything that you said. I was just talking to a friend um, who's going through a very, very difficult time just about this very thing, the ways that the Lord shapes us and that we learn and grow as we kind of travel through um, grief or suffering. And I do want to make sure our listeners know this is not just a book for somebody who is maybe going through what Lisa went through. I think this is a book for everybody. Um, I think it would even be a great book to read through with a friend and you know, talk through some of the things. And I think that it just every single one of us, since we live in this world, go through various grief and suffering. So I think this book is for everybody. Thank you, Lisa, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate y'all giving space to this very important and tender conversation. So yeah, I pray it just really brings comfort and somebody who's listening says, wow, you know, somebody else is walking this. Sometimes just knowing that somebody else is feeling what we're feeling is comfort, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. And I think scripture even points out when it talks about um, that we suffer and that we can be comforted and comfort others who are suffering. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for joining us and we'll see everyone in a couple of weeks. 